had your white girl drink. Oh, and you got me my little kid size drink here too. I, I wasn't sure if you're gonna like it or not. I'm like, I got anything big and have them eat it. So uh, what do we have here? Oh, I got the whitest girl thing ever. All right, so you you got me a coffee from Starbucks, which uh, we're recording, uh, so perfect. It's a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome, bud. So I I never drink coffee. So last night we were uh, we all went out and uh, one of our friends said, "Well, you should bring him some coffee in the morning." And I said, "Yeah." I said that I drink coffee so rarely that when I do finally drink it, it's it has an effect of like just I don't know a mild crack cocaine. And so it's 7:30 here in the morning, and Corlier's giving me a pumpkin spice latte. So not only am I going to be jazzed up. I'm going to be feeling like my, my inner white girl. So. That's right. That's right. Whew, I'm about to be real crazy in this podcast. <laughs> All right. So here I'll do, a, I'll do my taste test. Okay. I can drink this. And it's a, it looks like it's a kid sized cup and it is, what's the temperature you said? It's a kid's temperature. Kid's temperature. So I'm just going to enjoy a few sips here. The other downside to this is it's probably going to make me have to shit halfway through the podcast. Probably. Welcome to episode 83 of the Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I am Andrew Desimone, here with... Kryler Gracie. This episode, we are talking about half guard. Our last couple ones were on fads and trends. I saw someone commented on one of, I think, one of the podcast posts and said, when are you guys going to get back to doing BJJ heroes and... Uh, what else? Oh, giants, and then get back to doing techniques. And I thought, oh, maybe it's been a while. And I, but before our fads and trends, it was like two episodes before that, and we had like six straight techniques. So I'm like, chill, dude. Yeah, okay, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're still doing quite a bit of techniques. Hey, at least we're not going back to the quarantine chroni- chronicles. Nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> but this episode, half guard. I thought for sure we had done an episode on half guard, but when I went through our catalog. We didn't have any, and I think half guard. Would you say half guard is kind of like a, like a underrated or like people don't give it the the attention or appreciation I think that it's it taken for granted for sure. Yeah, I, I, why do you think that is? Because even I, I do that. Obviously, we're eighty three episodes in and we hadn't done something on it. I think it's just so common now. It, it's kind of like side mount. It's just there. You just know it. You mm-hmm. know, um, kind of like we talked about last time. Open guard. Like it's it's so just, common now that it's just. I, I said, oh, what is open guard like now in jujitsu? Like, and you said, open guard is jujitsu essentially right, now. Right. Half guard. Yeah, it seems like just a. I think to a lot of people a, a midway point. It's but it, it, it's it's a lot more important than that. What what is. For beginners, um, the reason I have cards so so common is because for beginners, you reach this point. Let's say you're a white belt, and you've been rolling around for a little bit now. Um, you you find this 
you find yourself in a situation where you're good enough to want to do guard work, like close guard or some some style of open guard, but you're not quite competent enough to 100% control the opponent in that situation. So, and the and your opponent in turn, generally speaking, when you're a beginner, you're going with other beginners, is also competent enough to start to pass your guard, but not quite complete it. So, you know, if you put those things together, halfway competent at attacking, halfway competent at passing, you kind of get stuck in half guard, just by default. And, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where, as a beginner, you don't think of it as like, oh, this is something I can do damage with. It's just... I got to get back to my guard or I got to pass this versus, you know, there's a whole different, you know, subset of jujitsu here. Yeah. I think that for the longest time is how I saw half guard was, it was a half guard was just a place that told me I failed in my (laughs) closed guard. (laughs) That's how it was originally. And that's how I think most people saw it for the longest time. Your half guard was essentially your first small victory back to closed guard for small victory into passing um and 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 essentially it was that way for a long time until like we mentioned in the last episode until gordo came around and he really kind of you know revolutionized half guard and developed and and for lack of a better word weaponized half guard because there wasn't anything before before him winning was there even a name for did they call it half guard or was it i don't know if they officially called it half guard maybe they did Mm -hmm. i'm not that's something i don't know well and when they would be talking about is it something they maybe only refer to is they talk in the context of hey when someone breaks your your closed guard right and they advance like would they did they have any, would they talk about like, oh, try to maybe just trap their leg and keep them in this position I'm for sure, a while? I'm sure that that was the, the rationale, right? The, the game plan was if somebody's trying to pass, trap something, a leg, an arm, whatever. Generally speaking, the leg was easiest. And once they got the leg trapped, then it was like, okay, now you got to, you know, dig yourself, back to guard, yeah. dig yourself out of this hole and get back to close guard. Hmm. So then once, I, I we did talk about this a little bit last episode but i don't think it would hurt to to rehash it a little bit then gordo comes along and what does he do so gordo um i think he was a purple at the time actually um but he was like one of these what was this 70s 80s uh this was 80s mid 80s i think uh maybe a little bit towards the end of the 80s um gordo um essentially had a leg injury a knee injury i believe and he couldn't do close guard uh, definitely couldn't do open guard um, at this time. Open guard existed, very rudimentary, but it did exist. And he couldn't do close guard because of his knees, couldn't take the pressure of somebody pushing on it. In open guard, your legs are kind of vulnerable being out there. To, and if somebody did a quick yank or something like that, it would, it would injure him. So he w- could only do one thing, was to that would hide his leg, and maintain some sort of control, which was half guard. Mm-hmm. And at first, I think that there weren't a lot of attacks from half guard, meaning a lot of sweeps or, or submissions. I think everything was just a transitional period to close guard or open guard. Um, and defensive, of course, as in like guard recoveries. But, um, but you know, he started, I'm, I'm sure he started looking for 
how can he deliver damage, right? And Gordo wasn't just a regular purple. I think that's the thing that it's good to note. Is Gordo was incredible, right? He was so he was like always, you know, one of the highest guys in his quote unquote graduating class, so to speak. Always mm-hmm. did all well in tournaments, was training all the time, you know, never left the mats and so on. So he wasn't just your average purple belt that was like, I came up with something. <laughs> this was a guy who, you know, really put in the work. Um, and I'm sure very quickly he started to look for, how can I submit here? And the, the easiest attacks, the most fundamental attacks from Hathguard now were probably his first attacks that he decided to try out and employ. Things like Omoplata, um, things like Omoplata, like Kimuras and the cross-collar chokes. Because those are fairly standard in jiu-jitsu. There's no reason why you couldn't do those from half guard. Um, but I think over time he developed better, um, not better, but more advanced paths to submissions. Um, and that's kind of where the half guard game got developed. So early, early half guard uh, game that we'd see from people, would it, was it mainly those things you just said? Um, Plata? Um, it, it might have been Kimura first. Then I believe a few cross collar chokes, and then into Omoplata being the the more on the newer side of things. And I take it that he, uh, w- once he starts attacking from that position, like every other technique we've talked about, once it starts to come out, you just have a field of people oblivious to this, who you can just easily mow down for a while. Right. Well, and and I think I don't think that the people were. Oblivious to the submissions, I and mean, a Kimura is a Kimura, a cross collar is a cross collar. I think people were. They wouldn't necessarily be in a defensive mindset. Yes. Yeah, I think they underestimated it. Mm-hmm. I think they thought that he was basically, you know, holding on like, you know, like a port in a storm, you know. But the reality is, there's no reason why those techniques wouldn't work from half guard. It turns out that they're very good from half guard, and it can be very dangerous. But if if you've been taught all your just a career that hey, in half guard you don't have to worry about these things. And all of a sudden, somebody tries to do it. You're like, "Fuck it, I don't have to worry about this." Mm-hmm. And then somebody slaps it on. And it's like, "Oh shit, I may have a problem here." Sure. Do you know if there were old school guys who did who didn't like half guard for a while because they thought they treated it almost like a turtle position? Like, why are you fighting from there? Get back to a good position before you attack. Um, I don't know if it wasn't so much that they didn't like it. It's more so that there was no point in it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of half guard when you can just pass? They they might say, like, you if close. you're attacking from half guard, maybe you're just not good enough at re- get co- getting get back. back. To close guard, right? Why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. And to be fair, pre-Gordo, that was probably true. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no techniques from there. There's no attacks from there. There's nothing viable. Why not just go back to close guard where you have all these attacks or open guard where you have all these sweeps? So the only problem is when it came to Gordo was he didn't have a choice. So he, it was do or die, essentially. Sure. So maybe that's what Turtle will, will become. It'll be something that... Oh, my that, God. It'll be <laughs> something that right now we just don't see the value, but we'll start to go, oh, yeah, there's... Where we go, no, get back to a position where they're not on your back, but we just don't see that. So, so let, let's, let's clarify my position on Turtle, since you brought it up. <laughs> um, so... Are there times where you're going to be forced to turtle? Absolutely. You see it in MMA. You see it on, on you know fights in the street. You see it even in the gym. You get somebody who is 
far more dominant who can force you to have no alternative but to turtle, right? I mean, that's kind of like a desired path. You force somebody to turtle to expose your back, you can take advantage of them. So in those situations where you have no alternative, like let's say you've tried everything else and the only thing left to do now is turtle and you're forced to turtle, should you have techniques that are practiced that are viable in order to perform in those moments? Yes. The caveat to that though is you're being forced to turtle where most people are taught to turtle and there's a big difference because in jiu-jitsu if I pass your guard I score so a lot of schools especially more competitive schools will tell their students turtle you don't get scored on and then maybe you can scramble out the problem is statistically speaking every time you turtle you lose a match now are there exceptions yeah you can find videos of people that turtle in one but I'll find a hundred to that one example that you found right so Statistically speaking, the idea of willingly going to turtle to escape a bad position is counterproductive. It's like saying, hey, I have this great mount escape. You're going to go for an arm bar. I'm going to put my arm out there. You're going to go for the arm bar. And then my arm bar defense is so solid hmm. that I'll end up in your guard. That's essentially the same thing. It's a hey, dangerous game to play. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't benefit you, right? Now, could you develop this incredible armbar defense that nobody can catch you? And yes, but you know what the best armbar defense in the world is? Don't get armbarred. Keep your arms in. <laughs> right. So you know, with turtle, could you have this incredible turtle defense? Should you develop an incredible turtle defense? Absolutely. Should you willingly go there? No. Should you teach people that it is a viable means of escape? No. It is literally like an oh shit situation. Oh shit, I am turtled. Therefore, I must employ the best escapes from here. But never willingly go there. I will continue to try to to bring up points in the hopes that one day... I will admit to it. Admit it. Not even because I love Turtle, just because I'd love to see you... Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to see you have to change your mind here on the podcast. Just like just like when we would role play over and over, and eventually I could see you started to like it, or you started to really take, into, take to heart what your horoscope was. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I remember I the time I, I first saw that little click in your head. I don't remember that. And, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was when you started texting me and asking me what your horoscope was for the day. And I said, oh. Croyler, you have a cell phone. You can look this up on your own. I also don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, half guard, let's talk about the actual uh, technical parts of it and how to start to develop a good half guard. Um, where do you start with people once you start to talk about this issue, this topic? Um so half guard is actually in terms of taps of guard right you have closed guard which has an incredible amount of attacks you have open guard that has an incredible number of variations on open guard lasso butterfly x 50 50 open would be the biggest right correct but often underestimated is half guard half guard also has a number of different styles to it are those the th- those the three the three big ones yeah. that's yeah i mean yeah. Every, they have their subsets so there isn't any other like no there's no outside that. of that no. right so well i have a good north south guard i don't get out 
I know it's your house, but get out. <laughs> Is there isn't actually something no. called that? Okay. No. <laughs> um, but like, um, like half guard, you have traditional half guard where one or both of your legs control one of the opponent's legs, and you're on your side facing the opponent's free side. Um, you have Z guard where you have one shin across the opponent's hip. You have half butterfly where you take the outside leg and create a butterfly hook with it. You have knee shield where you bring a shin across a collarbone. And and a number of different little twists there. You have half lasso and things like that. Um, so half guard is one of those guards that on its own has a number of different attacks, but it can also be uh, combined with open guards to create hybrids so to speak so it's very easy to kind of like throw that into um a different guard that you may like and, and basically develop a hybrid from there mm-hmm. um, now where i start to teach people generally i start in the most traditional sense ever in 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 half guard in a traditional style where you're on your side you have one leg between your opponent's legs that leg goes over the, tr- the target leg that you're trapping your free leg the outside leg in this case can be used to also trap that leg or uh, be placed in the mat in any sort of configuration that benefits you. Being on your side, the bottom arm blocks the cross face, the top arm stays by your neck to protect any cross face slips, um, and then we fight from there. When you teach half guard and white belt class, is it just one class and then you, well, the format of our classes are always you have a couple techniques and we do it for the whole week do you spend is it a week of just a couple techniques to get half guard down so in yeah in in our beginners class in our white belt class we have four weeks in half guard um we have where we teach you to go from side mount to half guard where we teach you to go from being in the bottom of mount to half guard and then from half guard to the back or half guard to close guard. So we teach you if you're in the bottom how to progress through that. What, where do people struggle the most? I think at first is getting to half guard. But then after about a week or two, they're getting to half guard fairly quickly. And then they, it's like there's a disconnect between that and, hey, I'm in half guard. I can do the, the other half of what I know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they... The connection isn't quite there, which is common for beginners. But once they realize, hey, once I'm in half, I can use an underhook escape and get to the back, or I can, you know, elbow escape and go into close guard from here. Then you start to see people transition very efficiently there. And then the problem becomes that they can't quite keep close guard, so then they go right back to half, and then that it becomes this like <laughs> cycle there. <laughs> uh, to me. The most important, I guess, one of the most important things would be staying on your side when you're in half guard. 100%. Why is that so crucial? Generally speaking, in jiu-jitsu, flat is dead. So if you're flat, that's a problem. What is, when you're flat, what does that do that puts you in such a bad position? Um, your, your mobility is decreased um, in a number of different ways from friction. Yeah, being more on your on your flat on your back, you have more surface area. It drags, so you don't move as well. Um, that's why I always Vaseline my body and my gi up. People get mad, but that, that's why I do it. Is, is that why you're always so slick? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm learning something. Is that part of the controller system 2.0 or just? It's going to be a whole other system I'm working on. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. I don't gotcha. want to re- reveal anything yet. 
but Fair lubrication enough. that's what it's that's what it's gonna be called yeah that's gonna be one of the key points of it gotcha okay all right <laughs> um so the other thing that it does for you is you know there's the the whole equal and opposite forces right so if i i mean if i'm in a bottom and i'm trying to either move the opponent or move myself if the floor is pinning me i cannot move myself so then the question is like well you can move them mm-hmm but then you, you, you run into the bench press dilemma, which is the idea that if you're in a, if you're bench pressing and you lift 200 pounds, even if you can push 200 pounds away from you, you still don't move because you're pushing yourself against the bench, right? So even if you were to just hold the weight, you still couldn't scoot out of the bench because the 200 pounds is acting on you and it's paying you to the, to the bench. So being flat creates more friction. It allows, it removes your ability to maneuver yourself away from the opponent because you're pinned to the floor and pushing the opponent uh, while you're flat, generally speaking, also means pushing yourself into the mat and makes it harder for you to move. Um, from there, you become very arm reliant, and once you start using your arms without using the rest of your body, your arms get exposed. You get underhooked. Generally speaking, you get cross faced soon after that, or body locked, and and then people can start passing because once they control your your body and you're flat, it's, it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. The other thing, when I think of half guard, I guess there are three things. I think one being on your side, two would be. Uh, creating a frame. Correct. If you're in the bottom, yes. In the bottom to then start giving yourself the space to move your legs around, get a knee in there. Absolutely. You have to be on your side. And then the next question becomes, okay, so I'm on my side, but I don't have any room to move. The way you create room and more importantly, the way you maintain room or space to move is through frames. And the most fundamental frame you can create is one forearm across their collarbone, one hand on the opposite hand on their bicep, and you create kind of a V frame there um, along with your traditional half guard. Are there better forms of framing? Yes, in different styles of half guard, there are more, there are stronger frames, but as a traditional base, that's a pretty solid one that kind of keeps people at bay. The other thing that I always think of in half guard would be preventing them cross-facing you there and is that is that what you just explained is that gonna be the best way to prevent that cross-face the hand on the bicep the hand on the bicep is incredibly powerful and there's a misconception that people think when you're putting a hand on the bicep that it needs to be you need to be strong enough to push them away and and that's how you defend quote-unquote the the cross-face the reality is you don't have to be strong away, strong enough to push them away. You just have to be strong enough to keep them from closing the distance. Meaning, they can even they can even grab your head as long as there's about an inch or two between their bicep and forearm and your head. That's enough space for you to move. How do you regain a good half guard frame and position on your side if they? break you down to you're flat on your back and they are cross facing you. Yeah, it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, if you're flat, it's usually like it's usually like a bad day. Um, the it, it comes down to fighting the right battles, right? So if you're flat and you're cross faced, um, let's say you're underhooked too. That's like the worst case scenario. The best thing to do is 
to look to create room for your head to move. So once you're underhooked, the outside arm, which is going to be the arm uh, away from the opponent's groin, is going to come across um, across the collarbone. And then the arm that was supposed to be cross-facing should come down under their armpit to your chest. Now, sometimes you can't quite get to your chest because they're close to you, but we get as close as we can. And then it becomes a series of small bumps and hip adjustments to pummel the hand through. Once your hand comes through and you can touch your framing arm, then now you can start creating that V-frame V frame shape, um, sorry, the V-shaped frame, and continue to bump and hip escape a little bit at a time and opening that frame up as you turn on your side. Because as you turn on your side, you'll have more room for movement, you become a little bit stronger, your frames develop a little bit, and you can kind of recover from there. But it's that's not an easy thing to do. That's, that's actually one of the hardest things to recover in jujitsu is if you're completely kind of dead in half guard. Yeah. Now, another part of half guard that that I like, and you've taught in class, and then uh, one, of the, one of the brown belts at our school, Victor, he, when I was first starting, kept always saying, hey, here, try this, try this. And it was getting, uh, when you're on bottom, getting like that underhook or that arm right right, right under their, and their inside or be the outside arm? It'd be the outside arm. The outside arm, getting that underhook. And from there, there you can do some different things. The one that I would use a lot of times would be, you can bump and throw that arm up and kind of scoot right out. Right. What's, is that underhook though sometimes, it's very useful, but also sometimes it would put me in a bad spot. Like I would, I use that a lot with people. And then I'd roll with like more advanced guys, like uh, the black belt Dr. Howard or school. And all of a sudden he'd use that arm just to, he'd scoop it up and just like. He'd wizard you. <laughs> he'd he'd wizard, wizard the shit out of me. Yeah. So when, also when I'd be down there, I'd, I'd, I'd be giving up my frame. So right. he could also just further smash me. When When is it a good time to go, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go for this underhook and give up the frame. Uh, when's it good to do that? And when is it bad to do it? Cause you know, you're just gonna open yourself up to something. So it's, so the underhook from half is one of the most powerful things you can learn. Generally speaking, the it's not so much giving up the frame that is the problem, is the idea that you're giving up the frame. You're not giving up the frame, you're substituting it. Right, so uh, an underhook, for those of you that don't know, will work most efficiently when the opponent's armpit is closest to your shoulder. I think the problem oftentimes is when we go for an underhook, we're, we're going too early and their armpit ends up close to our wrist and forearm. And then it's very heavy, very hard to move them. And we have to adjust so much to get that armpit to our shoulder that that time, that adjustment time is when you're getting smashed and you're getting collapsed and so on. But if you're on your side in half guard and you can time it to where they're trying to get top heavy on you and you can slip that hand, generally speaking, you'll get their armpit to your shoulder. And if that happens, then there's no reason why you can't just get out. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what's important to understand is when you go for an underhook in half guard, you should never be flat. If you go flat in half, even if you have a great underhook, if you're flat, you got nothing. So that could be part of the problem. The most common counter to a proper underhook is a wizard um, because it's powerful, it's simple, it's cost efficient. Um, 
And generally speaking, either you smash them back down or you come out ahead in a scramble. Also, one of the easiest things to defend is a wizard. <laughs> All you have to do is the arm that they're wizarding. You basically turn your palm up to the ceiling and then drag your knuckles to the mat. So I'm here, I have my arm out, I get wizard, palm to the ceiling. No, the other way. Palm to the ceiling? The other way. Oh, you and do then, it this way. Yep, and then drag your knuckles to the mat. Okay. Yeah, so if you're here, you turn and you drag your knuckles. What happens then is their wizard goes nowhere and you end up in their back. Oh, all right. Well, that would have been good to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I think what we'll do is this episode will be like our basic half guard stuff. And next episode, we can get into some other more advanced half guard sure. techniques. Any other basic stuff? Um, I think the the... And this is like a comes with experience. So if you if you're if you're listening, if you're a beginner, take it with a grain of salt, right? The reality is, for half for a traditional half guard, the leg, the generally speaking, unless you're doing a modified half of some kind, generally speaking, the only leg that matters in terms of controlling your the opponent's leg is the leg that's between his legs. So. If I'm on my right side, my right leg would be the one that's between the opponent's hips. And that leg is the only leg that truly matters in controlling the opponent's leg. If you keep that in mind. So that bottom leg. The bottom leg, yeah, because that'll give you the best, um, that'll give you more room for movement. Sometimes people clamp down with both legs so much that they anchor themselves into position and they can't move as well. And then they struggle because they're only moving from their hip, from their waist up instead of their whole body. That's a really good point, because yeah, you. there are a lot of times where you can have a good, you can control the person, and your top leg can be doing whatever whatever you right. want with it. So yeah, that would that does limit you if you clamp down, because right. then you're in this spot, and you're really just, you're trying to delay the inevitable. Right, right, right. And, and, and again, when you're, when you're first starting, you just you you need to feel that oh my god I got this leg and, mm-hmm. and that's okay I get it but with with more experience you, you should learn to move away from that sure okay so we'll finish this one up with some listener questions all right our question today is from Ashley Ashley on Facebook who pointed out to us he's I think from the UK and he said Ashley is a man's name here just a heads up in case you thought I was a woman and I think we both thought he was a woman when he first asked that question (laughs) (laughs) so he says I started my journey seven years ago got my fourth stripe on after white got my fourth stripe on my white after around a year and a half four and a half year break due to personal issues and got my blue last year I find myself stuck in a rut a lot of the time using the same shit I still catch people and try new techniques, but sometimes, most of the time, finding myself reverting to what I know. Do you have any advice for someone wanting to evolve and get out of a rut? I don't give a shit if a less experienced guy gives me a hard time while I'm trying to work on new things. P.S. I'm 37 and love beer and food. <laughs> <laughs> so, did he say he's been training for seven years? Uh, yes. Okay, so but he uh, he took a four and a half year break. Right, so really, years. he's been training for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. That's important to, to throw out there because sometimes people come to the school and they're like, "Been training for fifteen years." <laughs> really? Yeah. You only like a white belt? He's like, "I took a fourteen year break." Well, 
trained for two weeks, <laughs> took a 14 year break, <laughs> but I'm back. Yeah. Like that doesn't, you know, um, not to, you know, knock on him, but I mean, please keep that in mind people just cause you started something. If you're not continuously training that time that you were not continuously training does not count as part of your training time. Mm-hmm. Um, now as far as like being in a rut, um, there, there's a there's a few few things that have that have on this race. So first, what is a rut? Is a rut the idea that you're not having fun in training, that it's boring and repetitive? Um, is a rut a situation where you can't employ new things, or is a rut a situation where you know you should be employing new things? You're not bored. You're not hating training. You just aren't you don't see yourself moving away from what you know. If it's the first where, you know, you are not enjoying training, generally speaking, that has something to do with, you know, your, your, your emotional or mental state. Are you happy with the school? Are you happy with your training partners? Are you, uh, are you just happy period? You know what I mean? Like when you're not happy, it could be something you really enjoy and it's just not going to be fun. As far as you, you can't employ new things, then the question is, is, are you learning new things? Are you drilling enough? Can you recall them? Um, that's usually the easiest to fix. You just have to drill more and be willing to fail more. The last, like reverting back to what you know versus trying new things, that's actually more common than not. Um, generally speaking, we as humans tend to do things that we like to do. Right, so Michael Phelps. Lola, stop breathing so loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lola's Andrew's daughter. I'm kidding. My do- <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Lola. That would be my dog. She's walking around sniffing. Yeah. But one nice thing about this place, so there's, since there's carpet, she can walk around, and you don't just the whole time here, click, 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 yeah. click, click, click. So, um, so he's back to you're saying Michael saying. Phelps. Uh, yeah. So like Michael Phelps, he didn't become a great swimmer because he hated swimming, right? He probably swam a few times, liked it, enjoyed it, wanted to do it again, and through the act of enjoyment and and doing that again and again and again, he he became very good at it. If you have a bad experience, let's say you play a game that you don't like, because you did poorly in it or somebody ruined your first experience, then you don't want to do that again. Right. So when we're training, if we have a set of techniques that works for us, there's a positive reward that it feels good. I got the sweep. I got the submission. I got this escape and it's awesome. And then when you get into the process of trying new things and they don't work, then you, tend to shy away from it because it's not a good experience. It's not rewarding. It doesn't feel good. So you move away from it and you generally speaking, move back to the the safe harbor that you have, the ones that you know you like to do. So that's common. And, and believe it or not, um, all people of all levels, all grapplers of all levels, all fighters, they all revert back to what they like to do when she hits the fan and push comes to shove. The key, however, is to push through that and to make that safe harbor, that area that you can fall back to when shit hits the fan, be so big that it doesn't make a difference. When you're a beginner, when you're a white belt or a blue belt, that area that you're safe in, that you feel good doing, that you're comfortable in, is very small. So it just feels like you're always going back to that because you don't have a lot of variety there yet. 
So as far as advice, um, find, find a partner, somebody that you really jive with, roll with that person and do technical training. Like say, let's say you're trying to develop your half guard. Say, let's start in half guard. If you pass you in, if I get close guard or if I sweep or if I submit you, I win. What that's going to do for you is it's going to force your opponent to only look for passes. At first, his passes are going to work really well because your half guard sucks. So then you develop that half guard recovery and the half guard retention. All of a sudden, they can't quite pass. See, and then you're getting better now. And it's going to force also, it's going to force them on the other side, on the other, you know, that's the other side of the coin is going to force them to also get better at passing. Now, as you get better in passing, better at controlling, you will see more opportunities for submission. And then you can develop that. And on the opposite side, they can develop their counters. And basically, you bounce off of each other over a period of time. And then when you get somebody new who doesn't know that you have a half guard and you put them in half guard, it'll work super easy because the things that you are going to stop doing with your with your partner will be so much easier to do with somebody that doesn't know what's coming. Perfect. I'm going to do one more question because this kind of ties into that. It's uh, from our friend from Florida, Joey. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should call him like Joey Flowrider or uh, oh my God. Jojo Flowrider. <laughs> uh, he says, where have you, you and Croyler seen the greatest jumps in learning? And he says, white belt to blue, blue to purple, etc. Are the higher belts bite-sized or large chapters like the beginning? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I think obviously it's a different type of of knowledge, right? I think from white to even early brown, okay, um, for sure, and of purple, but uh, those those first sophomore years, so to speak, white, blue, purple, it's the beginning of brown. Um, it's about there's so much to learn. There's such a, a wide scope of techniques and positions and combinations and all this stuff. And, and that becomes more, how much can I learn on all these things? And then when you become a high level purple, brown, definitely a couple years into brown, going into black, it becomes how much about those things do I know? You see, so one is, how much do I know about all of these? And then of these, how much do I know about it? You know, so like mm-hmm. depth versus breadth of knowledge. Um, it, I would say from white to purple, you're you're talking about making your pool of knowledge bigger. And I think from purple brown to black, it's all making your pool deeper. Okay. So um, I, I wouldn't say that there is a difference in how much knowledge there is to learn. I think it's just a different kind of knowledge. All right. Well, let's end this. All right. Well, because we mentioned earlier today, we'll end with your horoscope. Oh, my God. I've not read it to you for a while. So today, the moon in your solar second house all day helps stabilize you and turns your attention to practical matters, dear Aries. Hold on. A all right. When I start reading your horoscope, you always do this. You pull your phone out. <laughs> Like, like it's done and you don't have to pay attention anymore. <laughs> Even so, there's some tendency to feel in flux today. The moon aligns with Uranus and it's a good idea to give yourself and others space and freedom. Don't be afraid to show off Uranus to people around you. 
Okay, maybe wow. I, I added that one in there. <laughs> also today, Pluto stations and turns direct after retrograde motion since April, helping to unblock matters related to career, finances, and intimacy. It remains a rather intense time for happenings in your career and your personal life, but you're likely to feel more on top of things shortly. Extremes of feelings are likely as the shift occurs today, after which things will normalize. Good energy is with you for taking steps to improve your position. If there's a negative attitude or a bad habit that you need to kick, this can be the time to do so. Nice. Okay. It really just, it's always a good way to end it because I feel like it just brings us back to our center. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening this week, folks. Namaste. Oh my God. All right. I'll see you guys. <laughs>